Sam Tracy. And I'm Sarah Merrigan. And thanks for tuning in to Season 5 of This Week in Drugs, the leading podcast on all things drugs, including policy, science, culture, and so much more. This show is produced by Twid Media, whose members are all alumni of Students for Sensible Drug Policy, an awesome nonprofit working to end the war on drugs. We also produce a weekly email newsletter and have some other exciting projects on the way. You can check them all out on our website, thisweekindrugs.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy the show. And now it's time for the weekly news and forecast, where Sarah and I talk about some of the biggest drug news stories from the last week and a couple exciting things to look forward to in the future. But before we dive into talking about the news, just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, which this week is listeners like you. Uh, you, Many of our common listeners know that we have a Patreon page uh, where we can take contributions from people or as low as a dollar a month to support our work. So many of our listeners already contribute there. And if you want to join them, you can just go to patreon.com slash twid. So to start things off with the news, Sarah, do you want to lead things off with our first big story? I will. Unfortunately, this one is not a uh, particularly happy story, but there is... We've got a a lot of bad ones this week. (sighs) You know, we do what we can, but sometimes (laughs) that's just the way the cookie crumbles. But this specific story is in Ohio. There's a Republican state representative who is pushing legislation, specifically House Bill 457, And this bill would require people in Ohio who are on parole or probation who, quote, test positive for illegal opioids to go to jail or enter a 30-day treatment program. Mm. And so it's, you know, there are a lot of interesting questions there. Um, For one, it was intriguing to me that he specifically says illegal opioids, and I'm not sure of the, Mm. how they how they really look at like opioid prescriptions for like chronic pain or things like that among people who are on parole or if this is like Mm -hmm. specifically referring to things like heroin or fentanyl. Yeah, that is strange because I mean, I do know from hearing about friends who have gotten drug tested for jobs and stuff in the past, oftentimes if they find something that is a prescription drug, they'll, contact them and say someone who had a prescription for Adderall just to make sure like, hey, send us the prescription and we'll make sure that it actually matches and that you have one and you weren't taking it off from your friend or something like that. But this is kind of strange just because, you know, we have this opioid overdose epidemic and illegal opioids are a part of it. But so much of the part, so, so such a huge contributing factor is that people do have prescriptions and there's like too many prescriptions too. Yeah, and so, I mean, that's just the linguistics and the semantics of that are interesting Mm -hmm. and worth looking into. But one other piece, you know, it's talking about people, these people would have to either go to jail or enter, essentially be forced into treatment, right? And Mm -hmm. the legislation itself doesn't include any type of additional funding for treatment programs in jail, for treatment programs elsewhere, for Mm -hmm. even though it's not something I would support, building more jails. There's no funding whatsoever for any of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And the representative who introduced this bill is, um, I feel, you know, like many other politicians of the same mindset, he wants 
offenders to foot the bill for these drug co- the cost of these drug tests, not taxpayers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it reminds me of some of the the naloxone overdose stuff we've seen where they don't mm-hmm. you know communities want to stop paying for this and that and say well they should be paying for it and really mm-hmm. there's just you know such a disconnect between why people are using drugs in, in yeah, and, and it's just shocking. I remember hearing about, I know John Oliver's done some good work on it, but just how the fees associated with going through the criminal justice system can sometimes be many times higher than like the fines themselves. And so having to pay court fees and that sort of thing. Uh, and then this, if you have to go to a mandatory treatment program, but you have to pay for it, if you don't have the money for that, it's that you're basically, you know, getting even worse off so that when you're released, you're probably much more likely to be, you know, sad and depressed and desperate if you don't have resources because they forced you to have essentially all these <laughs> hidden fees yeah. in the criminal justice system. And it's interesting, too, you know, the legislator acknowledges that the bill puts people who are struggling with drug issues, you know, into jail. But his belief is that that is actually a a safer place for them. Um, He says he'd rather have jails a little bit more crowded than more people dead of overdoses, Um, which I think Mm. most of our listeners know jails are not immune from overdoses. Many every every week we're seeing stories of people in jail overdosing Mm -hmm. so that's he seems to understand that being under supervision is helpful so maybe someone should educate him about supervised injection facilities and that that is a much safer solution so if you're listening in ohio that is house bill 457 (laughs) but sam let's Mm -hmm. move on to something else (laughs) Yes. Unfortunately, as we were hinting at at the beginning here, this week is pretty much all full of bad news, at least all of our big stories. Um, And our our first uh, big one that's making national headlines in the U.S. this week uh, was that Attorney General Jeff Sessions, he uh, came out on Thursday with plans to revoke the Cole Memo. And for those unfamiliar, the Cole Memo It was, unfortunately now, uh, an Obama-era directive to federal prosecutors that they shouldn't spend their limited resources going after marijuana businesses that are in compliance with state law, and which obeyed eight rules that it outlined, such as not marketing to children and not using firearms at their facilities. And basically, all state laws already lined up with those eight priorities, so it was just kind of an additional assurance there. And so revoking this memo, we can talk about what it means and what it doesn't mean, but Basically, it's just that U.S. attorneys are now being given the green light to go after state-regulated marijuana businesses, which could result in raids, uh, which did used to be fairly common in the industry's early days. Uh, But it doesn't necessarily mean that they're 100% will be, um, because this is essentially just kicking down decisions to the prosecutors, so the U.S. attorneys. And it's not specifically saying that there's going to be a crackdown, but it's basically just pushing that down. So there probably will be crackdowns in certain areas and none in others because U.S. attorneys, some of them are really diehard drug warriors, while some of them are a lot more more reasonable. Absolutely. I know I, in, obviously there was a barrage of headlines about this from just about mm-hmm. everywhere um, starting Thursday and continuing on today. And 
I know one uh, Massachusetts actually was one where I saw the the prosecutors already talking about you know using discretion and really uh, mm-hmm. you know and I think they're yeah sending out letters to the police saying marijuana is a dangerous drug and we should be enforcing this and since we're implementing our law sales haven't even started here yet. I do think our Cannabis Control Commission is going to move forward, but it is a little scary uh, to think that it could be slowed down or something. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you mentioned the Cannabis Control Commission there and just the, I think the overarching theme of most of the articles and a lot of the reaction that I've seen about this is that, you know, while most of the Trump administration's big decisions haven't been exactly popular um this one is really getting ire from everyone i mean mm-hmm. republican cory gardner many of our listeners probably know gave a very impassioned speech on the senate floor and mm-hmm. he's basically every state with um a legal adult use market has come out and had officials talking and you know i mm-hmm. Yeah, it has been amazing to see that it has been pretty bipartisan because I think at the latest count, there were four Republican senators who came out in opposition to the move, which is a really good sign because right now the breakdown is 51-49 Republicans in the Senate with a slight majority. But if four flip and if the Democrats only lose you know, one uh, conservative member, uh, then they would be able to have much stronger protections. And, and to talk a little bit too about um, what other kind of details here, what this means. Right now, it still does not affect uh, medical marijuana businesses because of separate spending restrictions that have been put in place that say the DOJ can't spend any resources on medical businesses, but that doesn't apply to recreational. So the states with recreational programs, including Colorado, where Cory Gardner's from, uh, those ones are still completely unprotected now Um, and there are efforts to uh, push for essentially the same sort of spending bill uh, spending amendment for recreational Uh, the latest one uh, is under the I believe it's the Blumenauer amendment no it's the McClintock polis amendment and so uh, please all of our listeners reach out to your your representatives your senators uh, to get them to support reform at the congressional level uh, marijuana majority uh, of which I'm a board member we've got a good little action page set up um, so we can link to that in the show notes too if people want to take action there fantastic um, one other thing that I want to make sure we do link to is it, mm-hmm. um, an interview that was done with James Cole talking about his perspective on mm. what things are like his opinion of what life yeah. after this memo is going to be like but his memo. Yes. Mm-hmm. Moving, uh, so moving on to our next story. This one is in Turkey. So at least um, we're taking our bad news out of the country this time. <laughs> um, but this week, the Turkish interior minister, Suleiman Soylu, drew international attention, really. Uh, this story I found in BBC. When he more or less channeled uh, president of the Philippines, Rodrigo Duterte, and suggested that anyone who is seen dealing drugs outside of a school should, quote, have their legs broken. Oh, wow. So, you know, we're really uh, not cutting any corners there. He's, he's telling mm-hmm. us how he really feels. Um, and one thing 
so if, if our listeners are not particularly familiar with international politics, um, Turkey and has really been dealing with the the PKK, um, which is known as the Kurdistan Workers Party, and they're sort of uh, viewed as rebels within the country, and that is one of their mm. biggest political problems. And they the government kind of officially refers to them as terrorists. And so when the interior minister was talking about this, he said that they need to fight drugs like they fight the PKK terrorists. And he sees that both of these groups are poisoning the fu- poisoning the future. And there's actually a lot of overlap um, between kind of the, the quote two groups of the PKK and people who are dealing drugs because it's been for years there have been allegations of drug trafficking and cultivation, um, like many other kind of rebel groups who don't have access to sort mm. of official means of, of making money. Um, drug trafficking has yeah. been similar to FARC in Colombia. Exactly. And, mm-hmm. um, but really he, so by, you know, he's making this comparison, he's drawing kind of poisoning, um, using the poisoning, the future and really linking drugs to violence and, um, similar to a lot of things that we've seen in the U.S., right, and around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it is interesting how much the, the war on drugs and the war on terror have so much overlap absolutely. in which they are oftentimes just used to demonize large groups of people and overlap in this kind of mm-hmm. way. Um, but like I said, this drew all kinds of attention, um, both some good and largely bad. The Turkish Human Rights Association and a secular opposition newspaper both claimed that this statement was effectively inciting criminal activity and an MP from an opposition party Mm. has already filed a bill um, accusing the interior minister of inciting criminal activity. Um, Another leftist newspaper called it a, quote, warrant for execution, which, again, I think just really draws reminders uh, and parallels to what's going on in the Philippines and the influence that Mm -hmm. Duterte has had. But really, really the only comment that I could find that was sort of even kind of in support of this was from the presidential spokesman who said that the comments showed a strong determination to root out drug abuse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so his subordinate said something good which i'm sure was totally independent and a complete i'm not sure i mean it could be his subordinate but this was this it was the interior minister who made the comments and this is the the presidential spokesman who's making the um Mm -hmm. the comment i guess i assumed that the interior minister would be appointed but i'm not 100 percent sure to be honest regardless yeah the only support is coming from Mm -hmm. inside the administration and Mm -hmm. and i get there was some support on social media but Time will tell if they actually implement this and follow through. Uh, let's let's hope not. Mm-hmm. And uh, moving on to our next big story, another bad story, this one back in the United States. Uh, this one is more something that went viral this week all over the Internet, a lot of uh, striking a lot of chords with a lot of different groups. Um, and the story is that over 70 black young people at a house party in Cartersville, Georgia, were arrested for less than an ounce of marijuana. And this is not an ounce of marijuana each, but an ounce of marijuana total. 
So less than one ounce of marijuana for over 70 people. And so what, an ounce is 28 grams. So that means everyone had basically less like, than half a gram point each, four. like a third of yeah. a gram. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it, it was first reported by local TV station, Channel 2 Action News, which is a real station, which is great. Uh, but it was picked up by Vice, The Intercept, and the Associated Press. So it really is starting to get around there. And apparently some of the details here is that the party was for a woman's 21st birthday. So she rented out an Airbnb and threw a big party with a bunch of her mm-hmm. friends. And a neighbor called 911 and reported that they heard gunshots, <laughs> which the party goers later said that they did were launching fireworks. And that might have been what it was. Uh, but that is then. So police came to the house and they arrived. The host, she said, hey, there's no shooting. There's no fighting happening. We're just having a party. Um, but they still forced their way into the house, claimed that they had a warrant that was coming, but oh. still just basically forced their way in without actually having one. Uh, and the people were saying that they were standing their ground saying, no, you're not allowed in, but they forced their way in. And uh, they found this small amount of marijuana. And because no one would claim it as their own, they arrested everyone there. Um, and some of them spent up to three days in jail. Uh, many of them losing their jobs because they missed days of work. And, uh, yeah, so it's a really <laughs> terrible situation. Um, a lot of folks are, are obviously drawing the bringing up the questions of would this have happened with a large group of white young mm-hmm. people? Probably not. So there are a lot of factors that you hear, drugs, uh, racism, and, and police, and also Airbnb, yeah. <laughs> which is another factor here too. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, and that's actually – kind of the the piece that grabbed my attention well aside from the the one ounce total but the fact that this was an airbnb Mm -hmm. and an airbnb being rented out for you know i guess my assumption is that it this airbnb listing um on the website pretty wild part well but the airbnb listing on the website probably doesn't say like hey here's a place where you can invite 60 of your closest friends over and throw a rager. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we're seeing people do it anyway. And mm-hmm. you have some interesting numbers in here about kind of the demographics um, of not just the party, but like the neighborhood. Um, mm-hmm. And you mentioned, so the town itself is 70% white is what you had written in our show notes. And, yeah. you know, I think... And so it's a fair assumption, yeah, that there's probably white neighbors mm-hmm. and well, and that's sort of the combined the gunshot assumption mm-hmm. rather than, you know, you, uh, if you're just mind, mm-hmm. you know, you hear that they saw this large group of what they, whatever stereotypes their mind jumped to, and then hear that noise, mm-hmm. and rather than thinking fireworks, they immediately go to gunshot and mm-hmm. won't deal with it. Yeah, and we see this sort of thing. And whether it was malicious of them not thinking it was a gunshot and still calling police just to because they were mad at this party, maybe it was an honest mistake. Maybe it was, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if to call it an honest mistake, but like you're saying, a mistake that someone made because of a lot of underlying Racial, racist yeah. assumptions. And. But it caused this terrible situation, and it kind of, you know, remind me of swatting, where people are oh. calling in fake calls and everything um, in order to have a harder police response. Um, and it is true. I mean, 
police, I think they responded very unreasonably, obviously, with an ounce of marijuana. But if you think you're responding to a gunshot, um, you are going to be in a lot more tense of a situation. I'm glad that they didn't, you know, act violently or, or shoot any of the people at the party. Mm-hmm. But it is still a pretty terrible situation. And I know the NAACP is being involved now. Um, and so hopefully they will see these charges dropped because... You know, it is just absurd. And this is Georgia we're still talking about. They weren't in Atlanta. It's decriminalized there, but they were outside. So this is still a criminal thing. And so hopefully they'll uh, end up getting some justice. Absolutely. This definitely seems like one we we need to follow. Mm -hmm. So before moving into our quick headlines, just a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by listeners like you. Join them at patreon.com slash twit. If you've listened to This Week in Drugs before, you know that we have a 30-second commercial each week which helps cover the cost of producing the show. But that's not our biggest source of funding. The big majority of our money comes from listeners like you, who sign up to support our work with a small monthly contribution. At patreon.com slash twid, you can get some great perks for as little as $1 a month. This money helps us pay our bills, like web hosting and audio production software, so that we can keep creating great content for you to listen to each week. Again, that's patreon.com slash twid. We appreciate your support. And now for our quick hit headlines. In an update to one of Sam's stories from a few weeks ago, Steve Lee, the dispensary owner who was elected to city council in Kennewick, Washington, has since made even bigger headlines because less than five minutes after he was sworn in, his peers elected him to serve as mayor pro tem, meaning that he will stand in for the mayor when he is unavailable. And I think that is definitely a first. Yeah. Okay, so hopefully he'll be unavailable one day so we can have a uh, cannabis businessman mayor. And uh, for my headline, there was a large drop in deaths of police officers in the line of duty in 2017 in the U.S., with the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund reporting a more than 11% drop from 143 in 2016 to 128 last year. This is the second lowest number of officer fatalities in more than 50 years and correlates with drops in crime rates in recent decades. Solomon Chertovitsky, a center-left mayoral candidate in Mexico City, told Reuters this week the country's largest city should lead the charge to end the prohibition on marijuana. He believes drugs should be a health matter rather than a criminal one and advocates for a step-by-step approach to progressive policies like those seen in Portugal. A Massachusetts task force appointed by the state treasurer is recommending an overhaul of the state's alcohol laws, which are widely seen as outdated. While one of their proposals is to raise alcohol taxes, they also want to eliminate limits on the number of alcohol licenses that can be held by grocery stores, allow brew pubs to sell their beer to retailers, and ease other restrictions on businesses. Well, hey, I think most of our headlines were positive. That's that's pretty good. <laughs> so yeah. now for mm. our weekly forecast. Uh, like these are pretty positive too. This week, uh, Oklahoma Governor nice. Mary Fallon announced that the state will be voting on whether or not to legalize medical marijuana in an election on June 26th. So, Oklahoma listeners, start getting your peers and your family uh, pumped up. Awesome. And next week, Vermont is going to become the first state in the country to pass marijuana legalization through a state legislature. Ooh. 
So on this past Thursday, the Vermont House voted 81 to 63 to approve the bill, which would not legalize sales, but would legalize home cultivation, personal possession, and sharing between adults. And this bill was the result of an agreement between legislative leaders and the governor. The Senate already passed earlier versions, but is expected to give final approval next week. And Vermont's governor, Phil Scott, who is a Republican, has publicly stated that he will sign the bill when it reaches his desk. So if you live in Vermont, be sure to call your legislators and the governor just to encourage them and uh, help get over this final hurdle. And everyone else, get ready to use their example to push for legislators in your own state or even your own country to uh, pass their own laws. Awesome. Well, before we wrap up, we just want to say a big thank you to our sponsor once again. And this week, that is listeners like you. And we wouldn't be making this podcast if it weren't for you. So if you enjoy what we are creating and putting out there, head on over to Patreon and you can join plenty of our other listeners in giving a monthly donation for this kind of excellent content. (laughs) And that's it this week. Thanks again for listening to Season 5 of This Week in Drugs, hosted by Sam Tracy and me, Sarah Merrigan, and produced by Chris Harris. If you liked this episode, please be sure to subscribe so that new episodes will be sent straight to you. If you really liked this episode, you can help other people discover us by writing a quick review in iTunes or wherever you're listening. And if you absolutely love this episode and want to support our work, you can make a one-time contribution using PayPal, become a monthly supporter on Patreon, or even sponsor an episode. For links to those and to learn more about our other projects, head on over to thisweekindrugs.org.